My guest today was Frank Cottrell Boyce, and you have been listening to the Sheffield Libraries podcast, the place to hear authors discuss their work, to explore stories, fact, and fiction that we think deserve to be heard. I hope you'll join us again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. No, no, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time out to chat. Um, so I'm going to just start off, if you don't mind, just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, because you yeah, do lots. Right. I'm a children's writer. I wrote a book. The first book, My first book was called Millions, which won the Carnegie Medal, uh, which sort of set my expectations too high, because <laughs> I just thought, you know, you write a book, you get a Carnegie Medal. <laughs> um, um, what else to say? I've written uh, Noah's Gold is, I think, my ninth or the tenth book. I have another life as a screenwriter, but it's not as important to me as being a children's writer. Millions was also a movie. And as a screenwriter, I worked with Danny Boyle on the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympic Games. So that's my CV. That, that's a fantastic CV, really. I mean, I, I I'd known, always known you as a children's book author. I didn't realise actually what a prolific screenwriter you were. So that really fascinated me. How did you get into that? Was that something you did before or after? Or No, I mean, I, I've written, I, like, children's writing came late. I'd been a screenwriter from my youth. Wow. <laughs> that, all that long time ago. Um, no, the screenwriter was the, you know, was what I did until I wrote Millions. And I, I wrote Millions as a screenplay originally, mm-hmm. and nobody, nobody wanted to make it. <laughs> Not because it wasn't good, it was, it was always being passed around as like a great screenplay, but nobody wanted to make it because it's very difficult to make family films in this country. Yes, yes. You know, if you make a thriller, you're up against other thrillers. If you make a you know, socially realistic film, you're up against other things like that. If you make a family film, you're up against Pixar. So mm. that's, you know, and you're going to lose. Mm. And in fact, we did open the same, we ended up having had lots of strategy meetings opening the same week as Star Wars. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, well timed. Star Wars people to think it was. So, um, <laughs> so it never got, it, I mean, it did eventually get made by Danny Boyle. And when we were kind of gearing up to make it, he, it was, his, well, we had a long conversation about books. Danny is a voracious uh, reader. I mean, huge reader. And we were talking about books and a lot of the books I talked about were children's books. And he said to me, why, why have you never written a children's book? <laughs> and I went, oh, I've never had an idea for one. And he went, two little boys find a bag full of money. Might be quite a good idea for a book. And I went, yes. And I'd literally never thought of it. And I started writing it that night. And I kind of wrote it between the green light and the actual filming. So I wrote it really fast. Mm. Um, having said which, I'd been working on it for about six years before. Oh, in a wow. different format, you know. So that's how I ended up being a children's writer. That's really interesting. I love that. Because we're here to, we're going to talk about your new book, Noah's Gold, which I have a, a proof copy of. But we're also here to talk about kindness. Um, because I think having watched your uh, Instagram stories and your Twitter feed, and you just seem like the sort of person that oozes kindness and positivity. And um, you recently read the eulogy um, in Liverpool for the, the people who sadly lost their lives to COVID. And you talk about individuals you met and those little moments and those little important kind of connections you had with people. Do you think connections with each other help us recognise kindness and then help us in turn to also be kind? Yeah, I think if we've learned one thing during the, the pandemic it is that 
um, that those little gestures, those little kind of extra, you know, that smile in the street, that are you okay? They are the thing that have, that have got us through, aren't they? They're the thing that's yeah. brought us. You know, I talked about the, the guy in the eulogy that you're talking about, I talked about the guy who runs the station, which is literally opposite this house. Yes. You know, who died at the beginning of the pandemic. And he was just, you know, he, he could have just done the job of selling you the ticket. Always found you the cheapest ticket. If, if, he, if he found a cheaper one a bit later, he would come and knock at the door and say, I found you a cheaper one. He would always ask about the kid. These are things that cost nothing, you know? And they don't take about, they, they brightened his day up as much as ours. It's that, yeah. it's the reciproc reciprocity of it, I think, is, is really interesting. And it's just about recognizing that the other person on the other side of the screen is a human being, I think. Yeah. And that is so, it's so enriching. And as we've discovered, it really builds resilience. Mm. You know. Well, you were really busy in lockdown, weren't you? I, I remember very early on when we first launched into lockdown, you were one of the first people actually to kind of start doing um, writing workshops for children on yeah. Instagram. And um, and it was interesting reading about that because you didn't do it to fill the, the schooling gap. You mm. actually did it in order to support children with their mental health and with the anxiety. Yeah, and you were kind definitely. of one of the first people to predict that that was going to be a problem for children. Which yeah, was really interesting. I was really aware of it. And because um, I've got a lovely garden, but I remember not having one. You know, if, that, yeah. if you didn't have a garden, it would be so grim. Mm. Um, yeah, and, I, and this sounds heretical. I'm not that big on sort of teaching creative writing in schools. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Because if I go into schools, I want to teach reading and not literacy, mm. but like the pleasure of reading and the pleasure of words and the pleasure of listening. So I've always had a kind of thing about being shoved towards that. But as, but as soon as this started, I thought, well, what gives me joy? What's giving me joy now that I'm locked down is, is writing. Um, and if you dig into that a little bit, what is creativity about? Creativity is about noticing things. Mm. That, that is first and that's ultimately what it's about. If you go for drawing lessons, they're really seeing lessons, mm. you know? And it's about, about noticing things and that the more you notice, the happier you are. So I kind of really threw myself, I mean, it's very, very, it's, they're embarrassing to look at because they're very ad hoc, but it felt very urgent to me to do that. Yes. And that the, the feedback I got from it was amazing. And it's exactly what that thing of like, it, it is enriching to look, you know, and that the, the place that you're in, if you're stuck in it, if you look, it becomes beautiful. There's a great line in Rilke, he, he says, if, you're, if, you, if you think the place you are is too boring to write about, that's because you've not woken it. So, so those, lovely. Yeah. yeah, so true. Yeah, and so those creative writing lessons, they were all about, you know, kissing Sleeping Beauty, the Sleeping Beauty of where you, you live, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know if they worked or not, but I got, I got some amazing kind of responses for that. And it was fun to do. And, it, it, and again, like I said about Brian, it's reciprocal, isn't it? Because I felt yes. so enriched by those. Mm. Noah's goal completely changed as a result of those creative writing. Yes, absolutely. Which I'm going to ask about that, actually, because um, I mean, we've been running some writing workshops for the library with children as well. And the, the creativity in their ideas and their enthusiasm and the love that they had for coming and just writing in their own time and and it was just amazing and it's such a they're so supportive of each other I think we found that with all our events that we ran yeah. through lockdown actually adults and children's how supportive yeah. and you know if children read out their story how lovely they were towards each other it's just wonderful it was, yeah was and really... it's like noticing those other things that are not to do with skill but yeah. to do with pleasure like voices like you've just said mm. reading them out to each other 
Yeah. And that was that was a big part. I mean, I had this great thing in those crazy writing lessons that suddenly struck me that all these actors were out of work. I'd had this transformative experience when I was about 10 or 11 where a teacher had read my workout. And hearing your words in someone else's mouth was this wonderful thing. And I remember yeah. I could still hear her voice. Um, so we got, we got Johnny Vegas and Maxine Peake and all these people to read oh, kids' wow. work out. Which Amazing. must have been like, what a buzz for the parents, I think. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's a big thing to happen mm. to a parent who's kind of knocked down as well. Go, oh, you know, our, our Kelly has just had her work read out by Steve Coogan or whatever. It's like really good. I think parents can feel very detached from their children as well. They're at school all day. The parents are either at home or yeah. at work or doing their thing. And for parents to see children's work and see them engage with it like that, it's really lovely, really yeah. special, I think. Noah's Gold is your latest book. It's out on the 13th of May. Yes. It was changed as a result of the writing groups that you did can you tell us yeah. a bit more about that because like as i said those writing things were about building resilience so they were about games and noticing stuff and contacts so, and getting them to think out of the box about where they were so i get them to do things like write about the pandemic as though you were telling your grandchild about it in 50 years time yeah, you know interesting when it would have the prestige of this amazing experience that you've lived through yeah. and all that stuff and one of the things I said to them was, write, write a story somewhere you want to be. Because, like, wh what I do remember about Narnia is really wanting to be in Narnia, you mm. know, and, and try in the back of every wardrobe. So where do you want to be? And that will be where other people will want to be. And I, <laughs> they, these stories came out and they were great. And I was thinking, I am absolutely not doing that with this book. Where do I want to be? Because I was writing this book about the internet being switched off. I thought, well, I want to be on a little Scottish island. So. <laughs> So it ended up being in Donegal, actually, but geographically, that's no different. Um, so, it, I, yeah, and I drew, I, that's another thing I said to them was like, if you get stuck, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be writing, don't forget, go and, you know, do a drawing or make a little bit of Lego and it, and it might start with that. I was thinking, I'm not doing that either. So I sat down and wrote, <laughs> I sat down and drew this island and then started to, and it just was the most, was the happiest writing experience I've had to think. And that's, that's lovely. from them, that came from yeah. from working with them, really. I was sent a proof copy of Noah's Goal, which I have here, illustrated by um, the wonderful Stephen Lenton. When I read the blurb and then started reading it, it really made me think of the real-life Lord of the Flies story yeah. um, that I read about quite recently in um, the book Humankind. Yeah. Was that influenced in... Was there any influence in there 100%, 100%. I've always kind of loathed Lord of the Flies. Yes. I've always had a suspicion that it was a lie, you know? <laughs> and and it, I loathe it because it's so well-written and it's so convincing. Yeah. And it beco it's become this kind of modern myth. And then, as you said, this true story, anyway, these kids from Tonga mm. who brilliantly, brilliantly ran away from school in a boat because they didn't like school dinners. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> they amazing. Had, they, they were going to go to, they borrowed, quotes, borrowed a boat uh, and they took, they took nothing really with them. They took some coconuts and a bunch of bananas or something and said, we're going to go to Fiji. The food is great there. <laughs> Yeah, and they went and they got stuck on a rock which is called Atta, which is literally a rock. It's completely, wow. or it seems to be completely barren. It's never ever been inhabited by humans. It's not one of these places that, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. there aren't that many places like it's really not been worth it. And they were there for 18 months. They had the funerals were held for them at home and blah, blah, blah. 
and an Australian merchant boat saw fire. Like the absolute storybook thing, because uh, it was uninhabited. So he sent a little pinnace out and found these boys. And had they eaten each other? Had they dressed themselves in war paint and, and stabbed each other? No, they built a badminton court. <laughs> said prayers every morning, prayers every night. They'd raise chickens. They'd climb to the top and discovered that it was volcanic and that inside the crater was really fertile. And they wow. looked, they were completely buff. You know, they, were, they, <laughs> they hadn't just kind of got they on thrived, they, they, they? they really thrived. And yeah. they were still mates with each other. And one of them had broken his leg and the others had just carried him, they made a chair for him, carried him around and declared him the king of Atta. And, and made a game of it. It's just like, I was reading this with tears. Yes, <laughs> me too. But this is true. And I, and I knew it was true because I'd worked, uh, I worked on a film, well, for a long time, worked with a film about the prisoners on the Burma Railway. And I met loads of those guys. And that, you know, those were the harshest conditions that a human could impose mm. on another. And the people, they got through because they were kind to each other. You know, the big, the big strong professional soldiers who thought they could cope with it alone, they just fell apart. But mm. People like the, from the catering corps or the signals corps who knew about teamwork and, and, and felt weak, they all came through because they all really looked after each other. Yeah. So it's that thing about kindness is strength, you know, it's, it's a strong Absolutely. thing. Yeah. Do you think, obviously, kindness, I think, through the lockdown, um, through the war years, lots of situations that are really tough for humans that we've been through over the years. Mm. And kindness has always stood out. I mean, I was re researching after our conversation about kind of acts of kindness through the wars. And there's so many, I can't even pinpoint one particular one because yeah, there's yeah. hundreds and hundreds of examples of humans just being kind to each other and looking out for them and, mm. and not even when they're on the same side, you know, it's it's incredible really what humans do. Do you think it's that people become kinder in those kinds of situations or do you think kindness just stands out more? Well, I think we clutch at it, don't we? I mean, we live mm. by stories. And, you know, for instance, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a very clear narrative of what might happen, which is basically the movie Contagion, which yeah. apparently yeah. Hancock was addicted to and kind of looked at it as though it was- Oh, really? Dramatic. Yeah. And, you know, people would be battering each other for toilet rolls and then we'd all starve and then, as it keeps saying, you know, it's got, and then we'll eat each other. And, it, and the opposite happened, didn't it? You know, yeah. like the, the whole, you know, what happened is like nearly every street set up a little WhatsApp group to keep yeah. an eye on the older ones. Everyone went shopping for everybody else. Um, all this, you know, just became, and quite a lot of that was already there. Mm. But it became, I guess it became vital and we started to treasure it. And yeah. we started to see that that was the narrative of it. We mm. really are. Uh, Matt Hancock is wrong about life. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. I think the the press bombard us with yeah. negativity That'd and sad stories. And yeah. no, but the, yeah, I mean, I think there's certain people that perhaps latch onto that as well. And I do think a positive outlook yeah. absolutely helps you not only be kind but see kindness in other people. Yeah, um, and we don't we don't publish. Um, stories about that they don't we, we no. think they don't make good stories I mean I think they do but they, yeah know. absolutely and the Lord of the Flies book I mean um Golding who wrote that was quite a sad man actually and and had a lot of he was quite a dark person and I think that's very reflective in, in his book really yeah. 
to that. I mean, I was reading a story not far from you, actually, um, in St. Helens, an elderly gentleman whose wife had passed away. She collected pottery elephants and through lockdown, he placed them on people's doorsteps. Oh, yeah, just because, yeah, I hadn't heard of that until recently when I was, was kind of looking up things on kindness. And, and it was so lovely. It was such a sweet act and a, an act of remembrance for his wife. But the, the first first reaction was people thought that maybe he was targeting their houses for uh, burglary. <laughs> and I just thought, well, that's really sad. And I think we seem to have a, an automatic negative view of the world sometimes. We jump to the, the worst case scenario rather than think, actually, is this an act of kindness? Thankfully, it's well, just... Well, it sells, I think, you know, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure that we all do, but that mm. is the narrative that you're constantly pushing against. And I think, you know, as a children's writer, you should always be questioning the given mm. narratives. Mm. You know Danny Wallace? Have you come across the, like he, he started? Oh with Danny. yes, yes. We've got. He wrote the other book about the internet dying. Hang on a second. I went through a phase of of reading all of his books. I just think they're really? fantastic. Yeah, all of the adult ones and and his children's ones. I just think they're they're. So brilliant he started books. to join me, and that that, that whole yes. thing of go and be kind and find someone to be kind to. And in a way, that's kind of the theme of millions as well. That they have all this money, mm. they don't really know what to do with it, and they want to be good with it, but it's quite hard to find out how to be good, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess one thing that's like not talked about about the pandemic or times like this is that. There is a kind of exhilaration that everyone knows <laughs> how to be good at this yes. point. You know, it's like normally it's kind of embarrassing to knock on next door and say, but now yes. it's like, it's fine. And you kind of, you want to do that really. I've just, I've been reading this. This is the Danny Wallace book, uh, The Day the Screens Went Blank. And it's, um, the kids in the book are reading millions. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I love when books kind of link to other books. books yeah. <laughs> what is wonderful about Noah's Gold in particular that I really loved is that it's clearly a work of absolute fiction in a lot of sense it's bonkers it's a hilarious story like many of your children's books but actually you've injected a lot of truths and facts and real life into there which you cover in your piece at the end which I, I thought was fascinating is that something you like to do oh, have, yeah, have you got that. um a fascination of the unusual and the weird and the wonderful I, I love the little gaps in history so Runaway Robot is about a real robot that was built mm. in 1922 called Eric, who went missing just before the Second World War. And you could figure out why he went missing. Basically, he was made of scrap metal, so the guy who made him wanted to hide him and then forgot where he put him. <laughs> but I just love the idea that he'd been left in lost property. Um, you know, and all those little gaps. You know, Sputnik's Guide to Life is about what happened, it's partly about what happened to Leica after she went into space. Yeah. So any kind of unfinished sentence, I kind of mm. want to finish it. And I like the fact that you then explain them at the end of the book for any yeah. children who don't yeah. realise that. They're like, actually, this did happen. It sounds ridiculous, but yeah. it happened. Yeah. Let's talk soda bread, because oh, yeah. that is the kind of, it's the kindness bread, isn't it, really? It's, yeah. uh, do you think food is in such an important part of bringing people together and, yeah. and a I way mean, of showing kindness? I think the, way, the reason that the Bake Off is such a kind of central part of our identity is that nobody bakes for themselves. Yeah. So this, they can never. It, it's. It's. I, I, mean, I love the. I think the Bake Off is an amazing thing because it's yeah. structured like a competition, and it constantly dismisses the competitive aspect of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It, they, yeah they'll help each, each other out. out. Yeah. yeah. And also, it's like when, when people do lose, it's often on points. Do, do you know what I mean? You, you yeah. Kind of think, well, that person was a brilliant, brilliant baker who mm. had a bad day, and so it's actually very forgiving in that way. Mm. 
and and undermining it, under, underlying all that is the fact that nobody bakes themselves. Yeah. And the thing about soda bread is that it's for using up sour milk, so it's recent yeah. as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's <laughs> also only takes off it. And I keep yeah. saying, okay, keep, keep saying about soda bread is that that's, that I, I don't think that is baking. I think that's like a basic life skill. <laughs> if, you, you know, if you come home and you've got no bread, yeah. you don't have to go to the supermarket and then spend 20 quid on other stuff. Bake a soda bread, takes yeah. off an hour, it's great. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. There's a recipe for that in the back of your new book as well, isn't there? Yeah. Um, you've got a bit of a thing for saints, haven't you? Mm. Because I noticed they cropped, I know they were in, play quite a big part in Millions. They've cropped up in Noah's Gold. Oh, yes. <laughs> What's your fascination with them? Well, because I like them. <laughs> <laughs> because they come in handy. But also because I think it's that thing of like, you know, you're saying before about what's, what's strange in the world and what's brilliant in the world. And the, all these names are incredibly familiar and yet all these stories are forgotten. So it's, it's that thing of like, it can simultaneously be exotic and arcane and allow you to talk about big things because they, you know, they're all engaged in this huge cosmic struggles. Uh, at the same time, it's very familiar because your school might be named after that. Yes. You know? I mean, yeah. that, that is, for most of history, that's been European popular culture is saints, lives mm. of saints, statues of saints, pictures of saints. Mm. So kind acts stay with us. And you're clearly quite a kind person. Has anybody done anything particularly kind for you that has stayed with you? Oh, gosh. Oh, Have you got a long list? <laughs> yeah, I think every day. Yeah, every day, really. I mean, I'm glad that I mentioned Brian and that eulogy because... Yes. You know, if you're right, you spend a lot of time on trains. Mm. And, and one thing I said in that eulogy is that you could come back from a terrible journey mm. and he'd be on the platform and you'd go... Because there was someone that you could just offload onto for two minutes, yeah. you know. And um, isn't that what it's about? That those little acts of kindness, it's not themselves, it's not the cheaper ticket, it's that declaration of uh, I'm available. Yeah. To you. And yeah. I wonder how much how whether he realizes the impacts he actually had on people. He just thought he was taking more pleasure in his job than yeah. he used to, you know. Yeah. He was genuinely interested in where you might be going. Why on earth were you going to Norfolk mm. for the day? <laughs> like who would do that <laughs> yeah do you think people are, are inherently like do you think they're born inherently kind or is it something we can is it a skill we can develop well yeah I think yes to both I think you know <laughs> I, I do think you want to be kind that, I, that that's what I mean about the pandemic giving you a kind of opportunity because you're held back by very social conventions and mm. embarrassments and that thing of reaching out wanting to reach out to someone but thinking is this is this an insult mm. You know, if I'm offering you this, am I implying that you haven't already got it or got the means to get it? And when when you're a prisoner on the Burma Railway or there's a pandemic or there's a blitz, there's just this relief of being able to get say, I can do this for you. You know, that I think yeah. we want to be. I think mm. we're held back by various social conventions, really. Do you think empathy actually can play a huge part in kindness? And if you you've experienced something or you know or you know about how people feel that actually you learn to kind through that. Yeah, well, I think it's a loop, isn't it? I think mm. it's a, 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 what was it called? Like a, a, is it a, a virtuous circle. Yeah. The, the more you do it, it's like getting fit. The more you do it, the, the more you love it, the more. Yeah. And it, it, I think it provokes kindness in other people. Yeah. Because it's about not being afraid in the end, isn't it? And mm. it's like, as you were saying before, there's a huge narrative about why you should be afraid. And every act of kindness says, don't be afraid. 
the, yeah. the, the subtext of every act of kindness mm. is don't be afraid. You're not on your own. Yeah. This is potentially an unanswerable question, but humans are always in search of happiness and fulfillment. Do you think kindness is a secret to success and happiness? Fundamentally, do hundred percent do, especially like, like for instance, the film industry's got this whole kind of reputation of being kill or be killed and kind of bully in place. And actually, I've been around it a very long time. Mm. And the people, the people who are still in there, you know, still, mm. still holding cards at the table and still having a good time, are the people who are good to be around. I mean, it's as simple as that, really. Yeah. And I always think that, like, it sounds ridiculous, but I do think a film set is kind of a microcosm because. That's such a range of skills. Mm. So there are caterers on a film set and there are electricians and there are joiners. Mm. There are people who do makeup. There are people who sew stuff and there are writers and there are, tech, you know, there are actors and directors and there are financiers. That like, it is like a little microcosm. And definitely, definitely, like, say, Danny is just a really lovely person mm. and people want to work with him again. And he wants to work with other people who are really nice to be around, mm. you know. So that, say the opening stress ceremony really stress tested that because it was yeah. really difficult. And he didn't choose people to be around him who were the most prestigious in the world. He chose the people around him who were gonna go, oh, well, never mind, let's get on anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Should I, make, yeah. should I put the kettle on? Do we, should I put the kettle on, you know? Yeah, there's a lot to be said for a cup of tea, yeah. cup of tea and kindness. Um, Noah's Gold is out 13th of May, as I mentioned before. What's next for you? What are you working on? What am I working on? I've started working straight away on my next book, um, which I'm very excited about. And what else is on? Is off? Is it? I feel, oh, oh, sorry, I'm in the middle of shooting. <laughs> We're shooting a TV series about the Stephen Lawrence case. Right. About the forensics, about the police aspect of mm -hmm. the Stephen Lawrence case, which is full of kindness, actually. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's how that, in the end, that's how that got solved, I think, to the extent that it was solved. So we're shooting that right now with Steve Coogan playing the copper. Um, and yeah, it's just a really great cast. I look forward to that. And do you know when that's likely to be out? Well, it's for ITV. So, I mean, we, right. are, we are actually making it. So it's not one of those situations where I hope it gets made. I'm looking at mm. rushes every night. But the, it, ITV doesn't have a lot of slots for drama. Yeah. So it will have to wait, I think. And where can people follow you if they would like to keep track of your books and your screenwriting okay. and anything else? Well, I have an Instagram account, which I don't actually, I, I provide all the content for and I like to read it, but I'm not allowed to touch it because Kiara touches it. <laughs> so I don't get distracted. So you have to forgive <laughs> me if I don't reply on that one. Um, but and that, that's Frank Gottschall Boyce yep. on Instagram. And that's where all the book stuff is. And I've tried to make that into a kind of stand standing children's book festival, because I don't think there's anything like enough coverage of children's books in our cultural conversation. Mm. And I see great books come out and, well, I keep saying this, but if I, made a, if, I, if I make a really truly terrible film that's gonna open on Friday and close on Monday and that no one is interested in, it will still be reviewed at some length in every mm. single newspaper. Whereas I can write a work of towering genius for children and I'll be very lucky if it gets a two-sentence mention in an autumn roundup or something, you know. Yeah, it's so, really sad. It's, it's appalling. Mm, it um, is, yeah. Uh, it, it infuriates me. So the, the Instagram, I do, I like I have a reading club. So this week I'm going to choose the Danny Wallace book. And what I'll Fantastic. do what I'll do is I'll get Danny to read a chapter 
and then in a few days time after that I'll interview Danny about it so there'll be so there are author interviews on there and authors reading their own books Fantastic. and that is also where a lot of the kind of um, creative writing class stuff ended up so we've got I've got Catherine Rundle on there I've got Nas Evans on there Anyali Rofe is on there Danny Wallace is going to be on there uh, loads and loads of people it's really good have you got any um, top children's book recommendations for us? We're a library podcast. We like to recommend books. We do children's and adults, but like you say, yeah. children's books aren't shouted enough. So this is really great, it. the Danny Wallace one. And yeah. what is that's it the day the screens went blank. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, I read an absolutely brilliant kind of middle grade book, uh, "Panda at the Door" by Sarah Horn. I thought that was absolutely wonderful. Yes, and that, I think that comes out in a few weeks as well. And that is really something. It's about a kid who adopts, you know, you can go to a zoo and adopt an animal, meaning, yeah, but this panda just takes it literally and shows up. (laughs) But, and it's like kind of, and it's in in Edinburgh or Glasgow, I think it's in Glasgow. So this panda's, it's it's basically Paddington, but with a lot of attitude. Excellent. That sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, he, he adopted me. I'm in here. It's like, don't like it at the zoo. You got a spare room. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Scottish panda. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Edinburgh, it's, in, it's, in, it's, in it's like, yeah, it's quite a rough panda. And it's brilliant. Brilliant book. It, it's, to me, it was like reading Paddington Gets Bladdered. Thank you so much for chatting yeah, to me. I really you. appreciate your time and your book recommendations. And obviously we recommend your books wholeheartedly to all our listeners. Thank They're you. fantastic. We've got them in all our libraries, all the fabulous bookshops. And Noah's Gold is brilliant. I loved it. I really loved it. Thank you very much. <laughs> My guest today was Frank Cottrell Boyce and you have been listening to the Sheffield Libraries podcast, the place to hear authors discuss their work, to explore stories, fact and fiction that we think deserve to be heard. I hope you'll join us again. Mm-hmm.